So fast forward to about 2011, 2012, and I'm seeing a therapist talking about my weekend, you know. Um, at this point, I'm, I'm most probably drinking a bottle by myself four or five times a week. I'm talking about my weekend and what happened. And she says, and we've been talking about drinking. So I was a bit concerned about it, but it wasn't the A word. I, I didn't label myself an alcoholic. And in this particular conversation, she says to me, you do realize that you're an alcoholic, right? And I stand up, take my hand back and walk out the session. And I basically fired her. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober Podcast, episode 115. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. We created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week, we feature a community voice just to give you a flavour of the awesomeness of our tribe. Anyway, and then I found you and I thought, okay, well, let me take the step. And finally, 2019, I came to a workshop. I loved the workshop. I was just so sold on the reasons for doing it, my big why. My big why has been my health. You know, I want to, I know that alcohol causes cancer. I don't need somebody to explain it to me, you know. Yeah, so that was my why. You sung to my why. I resonated and I walked away resolute and I've finally done it. So if you want to join our warm and welcoming community, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. There are so many inspiring quit-lit memoirs out there, but very few coming from South Africa. Apart from Melinda Ferguson, Smacked, and Sam Cohen's From Whiskey to Water, there's been a distinct lack of inspiration coming from the Southern Hemisphere. However, that's all changed thanks to my podcast guest. Tando Pato has just published her quit-lit memoir, On the Rocks. She was a guest at our member Zoom Cafe last week and told us that when she wanted to get sober, she struggled to find a book written by someone she could relate to. So she's become the first black South African woman to write a quit-lit memoir. Many of our tribe have already read the book and are raving about it. So well done, Tando. As it says on her book cover, 39-year-old Tando is living in complete denial about her drinking. On the surface, her life appears aspirational. She's got an enviable job, a cool apartment, and a snazzy car. 
But behind the facade, she harbors a dark and shameful secret. She can't control her drinking. So I began by asking Tando to introduce herself. Hi, I'm Tando. I currently live in Johannesburg, work in corporate communications. A large part of my career has actually been in journalism. So I started out in women's magazines, then I moved into the corporate space where I am now. Great. Okay. So let's let's dive into the drinking story, shall we? <laughs> where did it all start? Tell tell me about your first drink as a teenager. Was it a magic potion for you? Yes, I know. I like I remember being 16, 17. Occasionally I'd have a sip of cider or have one to myself. And it didn't really make an impact on me. The drink that made an impact on me was a double southern comfort and lemonade. I had that one day and I remember the person I had it with. I had two and I just loved the feeling. I loved the sensation. I, you know, even though I, when I got home, it was a different story because I had to pretend to be sober to my mom. And I, I was too afraid we, we had this house with this very long passage and I had to walk past her bedroom. And I was too afraid to, to walk because I wasn't steady. So I remember crawling on all fours like after she'd gone to bed, <laughs> crawling on all fours to my room and waking up with a stinking headache the next day. But I always remember that drink and I always remember that occasion. And I, I didn't only drink after that, until I went to varsity the next year, I went to UCT. And then it was just like a drinking spree. It was, it was a norm, you know, socialized weekends, sometimes weekdays. And that's where I would say my drinking career took off. <laughs> yeah. And unlike many of us, Tando, you tended to mix with other drinkers and it just becomes so normalized doesn't it and you you realize that if you want to do anything different you'd have to make a stand you know and and it's just so much easier to fit in and carry on having fun because it just feels like work hard play hard doesn't it absolutely you know and I at that time I did enjoy it it was a long time before it clicked that there was a problem yeah yeah I always say um that Drinking is great, you know, it's great fun until that moment when it's not (laughs) and something changes, doesn't it? So you didn't really worry about your drinking till you got into your 30s and then you started to started to cross your mind maybe did it yeah look in 2000 I went to Rhodes to do my postgrad in journalism and I purposefully didn't drink that year because of the reputation that Rhodes had and I was just like I was absolutely terrified you know I was paying for my own studies and I just I just didn't want to mess up so I, I made a conscious decision but I didn't think I had a problem I just did not want to fall into the temptation of drinking clubs and the roads drinking culture. So I just decided not to drink at all. So fast forward to about 2011, 2011, 2012, and I'm seeing a therapist talking about my weekend, you know. Um, At this point, I'm I'm most probably drinking a bottle by myself four or five times a week. 
I'm talking about my weekend and what happened. And she says, and we've been talking about drinking. So I was a bit concerned about it, but it wasn't the A word. I, I didn't label myself an alcoholic. And in this particular conversation, she says to me, you should realize that you're an alcoholic, right? And I stand up, take my hand back and walk out the session. And I basically fired her. But it sticks in the back of my mind. She planted a seed there, didn't she? she yeah, did. I had to smile in the book when you fired her. I thought that was hilarious. Talk about denial. <laughs> <laughs> and so I go to an AA meeting. I don't go open and and curious to learn. I, I go very closed, very ashamed. And I sit and I listen to these stories. And I'm just like, but I'm not these people. This is not yeah. my life. I'm not an, I don't have a problem. I speak to some friends about it. They're like, oh, no, 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 babes. No, oh, no, no, no. You, you don't have a problem. And so I merely carry on. But come 2016, my drinking accelerates. Two reasons. My father moves to Namibia and he, he was my support in Johannesburg. And a very important friendship ends. 2016 felt like a blur. Like there were some good moments, but it, it felt like I was waking up hung over every day. Like, yeah. like I had stories to tell for days of not being able to get home, having to take an Uber, then the next morning having to go back and fetch my car from wherever it was I was drinking, or, you know, not remembering how I got home, just feeling horrible, really feeling horrible. And I remember we had a work function in Cape Town in September and I went a day early and I went for drinks with my brother and we drank. And the next morning, I was so sick. I was so, like, and I remember going out to meet my colleagues and they're like, you look pale. Are you okay? And I was like, no, I'm not. But that didn't stop me from having a drink that night. And that whole week, in fact, I, I drank. So at this point, I'm realizing, and, and there's a lot of shame. And there's a lot of, because I keep breaking my promises to myself. I keep saying, I won't drink. And then I drink and then. I hate myself. And so it's the cycle. So I, I realized that there's a problem, that I have, I have a toxic relationship with alcohol. And I don't know quite what to do about it or who to reach out about it. And again, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. I just think there's a problem. So I have a conversation with my brother and we make a pact that I won't drink and he'll be my support for a year. And I just think to myself, yeah. I just need 12 months to reset, recalibrate, and everything will be fine. <laughs> so you, you went into that year, if I can just um, interject here, you went into that year thinking, right, I'm going to have a year off and then I'll be able to drink normally again. But you're, you hadn't changed anything about the way you saw alcohol, had you really? It was still something no. desirable, but I'm going to almost punish myself for a year. That, that struck me when I got to the end of your year in the book and you were already counting the days, weren't you? Even though, you know, it's yeah. been a year. But I can relate to that because I stopped when I was pregnant and it was a long nine months and I couldn't wait for my child to be born so I could start <laughs> drinking again. So, yeah, that means that you haven't changed anything about the way you, you see alcohol. So you were white knuckling it, weren't you, as, as they say? I, I basically yeah. was. But yeah. it, it, was, it was a year that changed my life. I ended up going into therapy, but not because of alcohol, for relationship reasons. But that's when my, my therapist said, you have a problem. And I was like, no, 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 but I'm not drinking. I've stopped. And she's like, the fact that you had to stop 
is an indication of that there is a problem. And I was in denial about it for a few weeks until we eventually started speaking about my drinking. She diagnosed me with a general anxiety disorder and depression. I went through a very big depressive episode, which affected my career. But I still went back to alcohol, even though I knew at the end of the year that, okay, I'm an alcoholic. She was like, you are a high-functioning alcoholic. And, and these are traits of a, you have all the traits of a high-functioning alcoholic. And that alcoholism is a spectrum. Because I think I had a yeah. very sort of narrow view of what an alcoholic Absolutely. was. And, you know, like your life had to be falling apart. And it, it Yeah, yeah. Most people do, don't they? They think, um, you know, that you're either a normal drinker or you're a homeless person on, on the bench, you know, but there's millions of us in between those two. So I absolutely agree with her the, about the spectrum. And I like the sound of this, Ingrid, uh, when she talked about you, you and what was he called, the, the one with the dimples, the nice looking one. Well, they're all nice looking, aren't they, your guys? But he was emotionally unavailable, wasn't he? I remember getting quite cross with him because he didn't go to your chemo appointments, did he, which was dreadful. He was emotionally unavailable to you, especially when you needed him most. You know, we feel so vulnerable going through the cancer thing. And then she, she proposed, didn't she, the drinking was also keeping you emotionally disconnected with yourself. I thought that was, yeah. that was such an interesting observation she made. And I wanted to ask you, now that you're sober, do you feel connected with your feelings Absolutely. and your emotions? Being sober has been a rediscovery of myself. Like I, I yeah. realized how little I understood and the way I operated, I, I always make the example of one of the things I discovered in, in therapy is that I'm actually an introvert. I always thought I was yeah, an extrovert yeah. because I went out, you know, I'm, I'm talkative. And, and Ingrid was like, no, 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 it's not about liking or disliking people. It's about where you draw your energy from. And yes. you draw your energy from being alone. Yeah, And yeah. that made that was such a life-changing discovery because, you know, for me, it, it's, it's so important about how I spend my time. You know, I need time to rest. I need time to be alone. I need yeah. time to recharge my batteries. Yeah, I think many of us are like that, Tando. Many introverts rely on alcohol to cope, you know, to cope with the corporate thing, to cope with socializing. There's even been a, a book written about that. I don't know if you've come across it yet. It's by an American lady called Susan Kane, and the book is called Quiet. It's, it's great. And she says, you know, that 50% of society are introverts, the other 50 are extroverts. And those of us that are introverts, we often rely on alcohol. And that's why, you know, a lot of us become dependent. And like you, you know, I, I didn't really realize how much time alone I needed until I got sober. I thought I was some kind of party animal, you know, because I was always out and about <laughs> and drinking. Isn't it mad how disconnected we get from who we really are. So let's go back to, so you had 2017, the year of, you almost got through the year, didn't you? And your lovely brother sent you those white roses. That's so nice. He sounds lovely. But your plan was to reset, wasn't it? Tell me how that went, because we all dream of being normal drinkers, don't we? Well, I didn't finish the year. On, <laughs> on the 15th of December, I had a drink. And then I didn't drink much again until I, I went on holiday to Cape Town. But I, could, I found that I couldn't drink a lot 
because my body just couldn't take it. Like, I had a headache, and the wine, which was my poison of choice, was a little bit too acidic. So I had to take it slow. So I thought this was a good sign. I was like, yay. And then I come back to Joburg. I have a mammogram because uh, I found a lump in my breast in December. I have a mammogram and I have a biopsy and the following week I'm diagnosed with cancer and the wheels come off. I literally throw myself back into drinking. Like, I, I don't even think twice about it. I don't try and stop myself. I just go back into it full time and I drink throughout my treatment. At that point, you hadn't developed any other coping mechanisms. It, it was like the default, wasn't it? Back to the booze. Yeah, I know exactly what you meant. And my breast cancer was back in 2006, and I drank through my chemotherapy, but I had no idea back then. And, and to be fair to myself, it wasn't in the public domain as it is today. I didn't realize that there was a real a serious proved link between breast cancer and heavy drinking. So you, you know, went through your, your treatment, a difficult time, and then we get the pandemic, don't we? Another curveball uh, thrown into your, your little sober world there, or not quite sober yet world. And your, your moment of truth, I, I call this the moment of truth because we all tend to have them. I, I had mine um, when I, I woke up after a walking, talking blackout and realized that I'd lost seven hours of the previous day. That was my moment of truth when I thought, I can't do this anymore. And your moment of truth, you uh, it made me smile with your mum when, you know, she didn't want you to have a lot of alcohol in the house. And then there you were sitting, watching TV together, hearing Cyril announce the alcohol ban, <laughs> which uh, which completely traumatized the entire country. So you, you rushed out to buy some wine, but your mum said only three bottles didn't she so you yeah. got your three bottles you worked your way through them and then you started you wanted a drink and you found yourself on your kind of knees uh, in the back of a cupboard under the sink was it <laughs> desperately looking for this old bottle that you thought might be there and that's when you had your moment didn't you as you wrote in the book you thought I am not doing this again but it's ironic, isn't it? Because the pandemic's uh, pushed a lot of people into more more alcohol dependence, heavier dependence. But with you, it got you out of it, didn't it? It was the catalyst for you to make the change. It, it gave you that, that start, didn't it? It did. Moving to Cape Town as a pandemic saved my life, yeah. ironically. Yeah. Um, because I was isolated. And, you know, I wasn't seeing colleagues. I wasn't seeing people. So... I could focus day by getting day by day through each day without any temptations. And it was hard. The, the, the first six months, I, I white knuckled it and I thought I would lose my mind. Seventh month, it got easier. Eight months, it got easier. Ninth month, I started writing the book. And then after a year, I stopped obsessing about alcohol, like, because before it was literally like at some point in the day, I would think about having a drink and then it would just consume me. And after that first year, there was something about my first sober anniversary where I just got to it and the romanticization and the obsession with alcohol just stopped. I could walk past the alcohol aisle in Willie's and not have my heart skip a beat and sort of stand there longingly looking at, oh, that would taste good. 
Yeah, because this time you'd, uh, unlike 2017, you'd uh, you'd shifted your thinking, hadn't you? You weren't romanticizing it anymore. And that, no. that's the key. That's the key. It really is. Because if we, uh, even if we give up drinking, if we don't really, you know, change our thinking, then we always feel like we're missing out, you know, and we're, we'll never really feel happy or complete. So we have to realize, see it for the, the poison that it is, you know, the fact that most of the world seem to be pouring poison down their throats on a daily basis is, uh, is a fact that is out there, but we don't have to fall in with that. Yeah, I think it's a I had to stop romanticizing and I had to be brutally honest that I had a problem and I had to mourn because I had some great times drinking. And I think that's what took me so long to stop because I kept thinking about, oh my goodness, but remember that time when I was in Germany or this or that? And I had to, I literally had to mourn that I'm not going to drink again. So there was a period of of mourning and sadness as much as I was sober, I think, the first month was very difficult. I remember posting on a group that I'm a month sober, but I'm I'm so sad. Oh, there's definitely a mourning period. And that's why in our community, we encourage people to write their goodbye to alcohol letters. And, you know, just and, and most of them, I remember mine as well. It, it's very, uh, we do acknowledge those good times. And I, I think that's important. We can't uh, go through life thinking, oh, I was such a terrible person because I was drinking and I did this and I did that. I mean, that gets us nowhere. It's better to think, okay, I had some great times and, you know, I'll never forget those times but now it's it's time for a different period in my life absolutely so yeah the goodbye to alcohol letter is um a great way to draw a line under those years acknowledge them you know for the good and the bad and then move on and it is important to acknowledge the bad as well because as as you know after a few months you start having these sneaky little thoughts you know well maybe i can manage one glass now (laughs) surely i'm i'm a normal drinker now i've done my detox and and then you've got your friends of course saying things like well um are you still doing that non-drinking thing and surely you're okay now so you have to deal with that as well as your subconscious thoughts so yeah and a lot of people think that when you are around them and they're drinking that you're judging them and I'm just like completely not I'm having a completely separate conversation in my head where I'm like I am so uncool when can I leave? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not even focused on you drinking I'm, I'm having my own internal dialogue and how, how do you feel these days, two years sober when you're socializing? Are you completely comfortable? Well, as comfortable as an introvert can be. <laughs> I, am, I am comfortable. I think what I've noticed that I've done in the six months that I've come to Joburg is that I don't do what I used to do before, like meet up with big groups of people and have long, boozy lunches. I have more intimate one-on-ones with friends and somebody will be drinking a glass of wine, but they certainly will not be getting hammered, you know, and I personally am not tempted by their drink. Like occasionally like the smell of a a glass of red will jolt like a memory and it'll be like, oh my God, but it's, it, there's no longing for it. It's wonderful that you've got to that stage because it, it just gets easier and easier now and the, the benefits keep coming. You know, it's, it's like the gift that never stops giving. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, 
just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So Tando, you said in your book that 2022 was going to be your year of being sober and single. Now that sounds pretty cool. You won't be on the lookout for a drink or a man. Tell us more. I think I'm still learning to get to know myself and to trust myself. Yeah. And I think that a relationship, you have to make yourself vulnerable and you have to trust somebody else. And I, I'm not ready to do that. I'm still yeah. learning to trust myself. And I'm also quite content with my life the way it is. It, you know, I feel like I have a very full life. And, you know, with my family, my friends, my work, the book... Yeah, so I'm for the first time in my life, I can say I'm content and actually understand what it means because yeah. it's a feeling inside of me that I wake up with. That's wonderful. I mean, once we can be happy with ourselves, um, you know, and self-contained, then if we do have relationships, that that's fantastic. But if we don't, then that's also great because we're we're happy. I was thinking as, you know, we, we all get manipulated, don't we, by the media and by society that we need alcohol. You know, us women are completely targeted by the wine industry, obviously. Mm-hmm. We're, we're told that we need this stuff, you know, to be happy and to have a fulfilled life and a good social life, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think we're also manipulated to some extent, aren't we, that we have to have a partner in our life Absolutely. to be fulfilled. And that that kind of got me thinking because it goes right back to when we we're little girls. Do you remember the the fairy stories? Mm-hmm. You know, and that, what was that one? The Sleeping Beauty, you know, who's lying there sleeping until her, her prince comes to wake her up with a kiss. Oh, God. And we get that from the age of about six or seven, don't we? And and it's so interesting that you spoke, you're speaking about this because I was thinking about it the other day and I was like, if I had known what I'd known now in my 20s, I'd have spent a lot less time chasing relationships, you know, I, and, and, and looking for validation. I can't say it enough. I know it sounds cheesy, but I'm really content. Like, life is not perfect, far from it, but I'm just really content with my lot in life. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. I mean, I I agree that sobriety just puts you on this path to self-discovery and it makes us realize how numbed out we've been for for how long as well. And what's interesting is, is when you learn to soothe yourself and you learn to deal with difficult emotions and sometimes you don't have a good way of dealing with it you know sometimes yes I I'll have a chocolate if I'm feeling a little stressed it's like I'm I'm learning something about myself I haven't checked out yeah absolutely and and going through those tough times that we were so keen to numb out that's where the personal growth comes from really isn't it so absolutely. we uh, yeah, they, I think there's there's an expression that says that your emotional maturity stalls when you start drinking heavily. So Absolutely. I was thinking, I've been 18 for most of my life. <laughs> it's about time, about time I grew up, really. No, but what you're saying is so important, Janet, because that's what Ingrid said to me. She said, 
you stop growing. She's like, you yeah. stopped growing. You stuck at an age and you just keep repeating the cycles of that age. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's like it's like Groundhog Day, isn't it? This it work is. hard, play hard thing. You know, I used yeah. to work really hard in a corporate and then I'd come home, open my wine, drink all evening, wake up the next day feeling dreadful, but go through it all again and again. And, <laughs> and it's, again it's and again and again. <laughs> Exhausting as well. So you mentioned chocolate, so I have to refer to your recent conversation with Eusebius where mm-hmm. you, you talked about the cross-addiction because both of you, you know, have, have stopped drinking and were very drawn to the sugar. And then, of course, we've got Sam Cohen who replaced her alcohol with ice cream and managed yeah. to hit 100 kgs, didn't she? <laughs> so... Um, and and a lot of people in our community, I mean, I, I wasn't too bad. I more or less kept it under control. But what would you say to them? Any tips for this sugar thing? Because so many people struggle with it, don't they? I don't have tips because I feel like I'm still in it. And it's something that I'm wrestling with. I'm conscious of it. I'm not as bad as what I described in the book, where it was every day. But it's still a crutch for me and I'm still there and it's it's something I'm still talking about in therapy. And my therapist was like, be kind and be patient with yourself. Yeah. Like you got out of alcohol, which was huge. And this this phase is normal and you're going to get out of it, too. We just we just have to be present throughout it and give ourselves time. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking I think of Sam. What did she do? Oh, she took up swimming, didn't she? <laughs> she, she took up swimming. So her, yeah, the, hers was ice cream and what was it? Yogurt with muesli. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to get you in that cold water. Swim to Robin Island. <laughs> yeah, look, you know, I've, I say to people, I'm very open about maintaining my sobriety and if it means I have to pick up a sport or go to AA or NA or whatever it is to continue I'm committed to that yes absolutely absolutely and I I think we're we're far more inclined to try things aren't we just to experiment because we've got more time on our hands for a start and yes, the AA, it made me smile because I had a similar AA experience in that I went to a few meetings and I, I just couldn't really find, find my people there. And uh, because all these stories, you know, of how they were drinking whiskey in the mornings, I was thinking, well, I'm not like that. You know, I've just got my, my wine in the evening. So, uh, exactly, you know. But, but when, you, when you left that first meeting, you said you, you felt like you were fleeing a crime scene and you I ran did. to your car. So funny. I, I, I literally even remember how my feet were. I didn't allow my heels to sit on the ground when I was sitting in the meeting. Like I was literally ready to bolt and it ended. And that's exactly what I did. Like I remember some guy was trying to make eye contact with me and I, and I just would not refuse to look him in the eye. And as soon as it ended, I went to my car and I left and I was like, oh, I'm never putting myself through that again. <laughs> Yeah, well, we have to have to find the right way, and it's it's been so interesting that I think for you, you know, with your brother being there for you, and then the pandemic just giving you that time to nourish yourself, really, just to get in touch with your your introvert side and to not be drinking because your head clears, doesn't it? And then yeah. be away away from the social life. That that was what you needed. 
oh, out of Joburg was the most important thing. And then, yeah, away from my social life and just literally in this bubble in Cape Town with just me and my mom. Yeah, you're building that that sober, sober muscle. Exactly. (laughs) Is your mom proud of you? Yes, she's very, very proud of me. She's very, very proud of me. So apart from having a proud mum and being much healthier, what what other benefits would you uh, come up with for your top few benefits of sobriety? My top, top one is that I have more capacity. And when I break that down, I have more capacity for myself. I have more capacity for other people. I have more capacity for situations, capacities of time emotional capacity i'm able to digest things and and think through them and work through them which is huge for me you know there's there the relationships that have become richer just because i'm present and i have capacity yeah that's that's really a big one yeah. So let's let's give your your book a little plug here <laughs> <laughs> on the rocks by tando pato i found it so entertaining. I mean, I, I finished it in just a couple of, of sit, sittings and it, it was brave and it's inspiring it, it's, and it's funny. You know, it's, it's got it all really. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the first sober quitlit book by a, a black South African woman? Yes. I think I, it was, yeah. When I was looking for, for quitlit, and that's part of what inspired the book, was I couldn't find anything by a black woman. There are books about women who talk about addiction, but it's in the midst of everything else. It, yes. it isn't looking at the subject by itself. Absolutely. And, and everybody, just as you were looking on that day, I mean, people need people that they can relate to and identify with. So, I mean, talking of your, your peer group, those uh, successful guys in, uh, in Joburg, and we have got some in Cape Town, obviously, there'll be a lot of highly <laughs> functional drinkers amongst that set and I just wondered what you would say to them if you know there's people in that crowd that are worried about their drinking would you tell them that it was worth it because it is hard work this you know I I would never lie about that it is hard work but do you think it's worth it yes I highly recommend sobriety and I think you know I got an an inbox in my LinkedIn from somebody I used to work with who was you know, she's like worried about her drinking and she's like, what are the signs of your drinking too much? And I said, the first sign is when you are worried about it. When, yeah. when you recognize there's a problem, there is most probably a problem. And even if you don't quit at the end of it, my advice is find somebody to talk to and explore the subject and explore yourself because that is get to a resolution or some understanding. But the, the minute you think there's a problem, there is more than 99.9% of the time a problem. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. Have you, have you heard that statistic? Um, it was a study done by the Tempest, who are a sobriety group in the US. Yeah. The 11 years. Have you heard that one? No. Apparently, it's, it takes us an average of 11 years between the time when we 
recognize that mm, there might be a problem here to the time that we reach out and get help and do something about it. And that's a long time, isn't it? 11 years. Uh, and when I think about my journey, you know, I spent a decade trying to moderate because I couldn't couldn't contemplate not having alcohol in my life. And that was my 11 years, basically. So it takes people a long time. So I absolutely agree. The minute you start that niggling thought, oh, you know, overdid it again last night. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the latest podcast that I did on last Saturday, an Australian lady saying that most binge drinkers won't accept that they've they've got a problem because they because th- they can go for weeks without a drink, but then when they do drink, they go over the top, which is a sign of of dependence. So yeah, I th- I think even if you only drink moderately, if you're worried about it, then you know check it out a bit. Exactly. You know, and there's nothing wrong with having the conversation about it. It's it's self-awareness and you're checking in with yourself. One thing I was saying to people, it takes a, like you said, it takes a long time to get sober. I mean, I I was 2016. I recognized, think, 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 there's a problem. I only stopped in 2020. So not quite 11 years, but uh, (laughs) But you're on the fast track, you see. (laughs) But if you think about when my therapist, my first therapist told me, um, it it was almost 11 years. It was nine. Yes. Interesting. Interesting. We'll we'll see if you've got anything um, you want to add in a moment. But I just wanted to read out a lovely quote from your book because, uh, I mean, there's so much insight and wisdom in the book. Um, and I'd recommend it to anyone on this journey. But one of your many inspiring quotes, you say, sobriety has given me the space and time to learn the tools and skills to deal with life. And I thought that was beautiful because it gives us space, as you say, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what I was talking about, capacity. Exactly. And where can people find your book, Tando? Bearing Um, in mind there's a lot of UK, American people that listen to this. Look, it is online on Amazon. Uh, you can buy the what is it, the Kindle version. It's also on Loot and other bookstores. Like the physical copies in South Africa, you can buy through most bookstores. That's where I'm at right now. And I think you're on social media, aren't you? On uh, I am. I'm Instagram. at Candy on Instagram and Tando Pato on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn. It's Tando Pato. Great. Okay. I'll put all that in the show notes. So anything else you'd like to say to us before you go? That sobriety is a journey. And I think what I learned is that you need to be, you need to be very kind to yourself. It doesn't mean that you make excuses. It means you, you extend compassion towards yourself because you're learning. Oh, thank you, Tando. You're such an inspiration. You know, I've met so many people who complain that their drinking's got worse due to the pandemic. So it's great to meet someone that tells me that the pandemic saved her life. Let's pull out some key points from that conversation. Like many of us, Tando's drinking career got started at university. That combination of being away from home with access to cheap booze and drinking buddies gets to many of us. She was not at all worried about her drinking, it just felt normal. In fact, she displayed a rather sensible attitude towards alcohol. She made the decision to ditch it for a year while she was doing her postgrad at Rose University, which has a very heavy drinking reputation. 
However, by 2012, she'd got into the habit of drinking a bottle of wine at home most evenings of the week. Still not particularly concerned, but when her therapist told her that she was an alcoholic, she stormed out of the room and promptly sacked that therapist. Tando was still in denial about having a problem, but the therapist had definitely touched a nerve and planted a seed. Tando's drinking accelerated in 2016 when she had two personal setbacks. Using alcohol to deal with disappointments can easily become our default strategy and it's actually a big sign of progress when we can deal with our lows and even our highs without reaching for the booze. Tando described 2016 as a bit of a blur, often having to leave her car and collect it the next morning, not remembering the journey home, awful hangovers, feeling a lot of shame. I think many of us can identify with that blurry stage. It's when you really need to make a change and step off that slippery slope. Of course, by now, Tando was making and breaking rules about her drinking, but finally accepting that, yes, she did have a toxic relationship with alcohol, but like many of us, she had no idea how to deal with it. Like me, she trotted down to AA, but like me, she listened to the shares and decided she wasn't that bad and that she didn't fit in at all. Now that I look back on the AA experience and that feeling of being okay because we're not drinking in the morning, it occurs to me that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves with the serious alcoholics. We should rather compare ourselves with the best version of ourselves that we could be. Tando made a pact with her brother to not drink for a year and he would be her support. Her decision to take a year off was a brave one, but it had a fatal flaw. She was under the impression that this sabbatical from booze would mean that she would be able to reset her habits and drink normally. But of course, once our drinking has crossed that line into dependence, we can never go back. We have to go forward and create an alcohol-free life, a life we don't want to escape from. Tribe Sober can help you do that. Go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. Tando's therapist pointed out the fact that she was taking a year off alcohol indicated that she did have a problem, as it would never occur to a normal drinker to do that. And what helped Tando finally accept that she was a functioning alcoholic was the explanation she got from her therapist of alcoholism being a spectrum. Two extremes with many degrees of dependence in between. At one end of this spectrum, you have a stereotype alcoholic, you know, that homeless man in the park, and at the other end is the non-drinker, and most of the population fall in between those two extremes. Back in 2012, Drs. Nowinski and Doyle published a book called Almost Alcoholics, describing people that are still holding it all together, but they are actually edging up to the alcoholic end of that spectrum. And the trick is to keep an eye on your relationship with alcohol and look out for warning signs. If you'd like one of our free PDFs called Are You an Alcoholic? which lists those warning signs, then just drop me a line at janet at tribesober.com and I'll send you one right away. So once Tando had white-knuckled her way through that sober year, Life threw her a curveball, which meant that her intentions to moderate were completely derailed. She was diagnosed with breast cancer, and as drinking was her default mechanism for dealing with trauma, 
she drank more than ever to cope with the stress, the surgery and the various treatments. Then came the pandemic. But in fact, this turned out to be her saving grace. South Africa had implemented an alcohol ban, so Tando was able to isolate herself and build up some serious sober time. Although she felt like she was losing her mind during those first few months of sobriety, she hung in there and it got easier. At month nine, she started to write her book. And after a year, she stopped obsessing about alcohol. She stopped romanticizing it. She changed the way she saw alcohol. She changed her mindset. That's such an essential step in this journey. And we'll never learn to actually thrive and enjoy our alcohol-free lives if we don't change our mindset. So Tando actually got sober by a combination of being locked away due to the pandemic and getting some therapy. Her therapist helped her to understand that she was actually an introvert and needed time alone to recharge. Extroverts draw their energy from being with people, whereas introverts need time alone. Another conclusion that she reached with the help of her therapist was the fact that she was attracted to men who were emotionally unavailable. And her therapist explained that by drinking, she was emotionally cut off from herself. These days, Tando feels that she understands herself so much better and she's adjusted her lifestyle to ensure that she gets plenty of time alone. Her social life has evolved and she spends time in smaller groups rather than going for long boozy lunches with crowds of people. Apart from getting to know herself better, Tando's main benefit of sobriety is more capacity for herself and for her to connect with others. Her relationships are richer. So many young professionals will identify with Tando's story and she will inspire many. If you haven't yet read the book, then it's available in most bookstores and on Kindle and can be ordered online via Loot. I'll put everything in the show notes. The book is called On the Rocks by Tando Pato. We're always urging our tribe members to get a project to keep those happy brain chemicals triggered. I try to take my own advice, so I've always got a project on the go. And my latest project has been developing an online course called Kickstart Your Sober Life. June is beta month, so we have a team of people testing the content, making sure it all works smoothly. And July will be the launch month, so watch this space. The course will be offered at a special launch price for Tribe Sober members, so it's a great time to join up. Just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. So let me finish with a message from one of our chat rooms. This message is from Tumi. I've been rolling through some major events, but learning to take it a day at a time. I was recently promoted, but chose to celebrate with my ginger juice. Recently held a very successful leadership summit with my global team. The champagne was flowing, but I stuck to my ginger. Going through a nasty divorce, but I also chose daily to hug my ginger juice. Learning to handle celebration, disappointments, pain, stress without the poison. That remains my journey. I just need strong, long stretches, but I'm getting there slowly and surely. Thank you, Toomey. That's such great advice. 
when we can manage the highs and the lows of life without turning to alcohol, we've really taken a, a big step forward. So this week's giveaway is our PDF, Am I an Alcoholic?, which lists the warning signs to look out for. If you'd like a copy, just write to Janet at tribesober.com and I'll send you one right away. And don't forget our private Facebook group. Just check it out, Tribe Sober, and ask for an invite. We'd love to see you in there. Come and join the conversation. So that's it from me. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.